The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to the Catherine Zox Show on Voice America Variety, voiceamericavariety.com. I've got two guests coming up in this hour. My first guest is Pamela Varconi. Pamela is a native of Pennsylvania, born and raised in Bucks County. Uh, she also has her own radio show on voiceamericavariety.com, so uh, you can listen to her show as well. I don't know if we are competitors or we're colleagues. We'll have to talk about that. But Pam has... Uh, Travel to four continents. She writes, she lectures, she works for women's empowerment. Uh, this has included two trips to Afghanistan in 2006 and again in early 2007. She's the founder of Power of Women, which is what her show is all about as well, which is a networking and mentoring organization. Pam has been involved in politics, civil affairs. I think she ran for mayor once. Um, and her column, she has a column that appears every other Sunday on the opinion pages of the morning call, and she has a blog called Perspectives. So, welcome to the show, Pamela. Nice to have you on this morning. Well, Catherine, it's a pleasure to be on this morning. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, sharing our joint passion for women and uh, and the empowerment thereof. Yeah, exactly. And we should talk about, Pamela, where you and I met, because, you know, powerful women meet in, in similar places, and you and I were asked to be judges for the American Women in Radio and Television Gracie Awards. Uh, so we met in Washington, D.C. when we were judging, and then we went to the gala in New York City, So, um, which was very exciting. It was very exciting, yeah. yes. Uh, two powerful women met in the seat of power okay. of the United States in Washington, and uh, we had what... Uh, women often have when they meet and share common interests, and that is immediate chemistry. And a drink at the bar in the hotel. And we did, <laughs> and then we had a lovely dinner, and we uh, found all these uh, shared commonalities, and it was quite an experience. It was my first year. Uh, it was not your first year, right? Well, it was my first year as a judge. I had never judged before, but I had been, uh, it was my second year of going to the, the Gracie's, and uh uh, so this was a very different situation, having you know judged the the, the awards, at least for me. Um, but I want to get back to you because the power of women—that's what your show is about. That's what you're about. That's who you are. You are a very powerful woman. But as well, and, and Pamela, and I was looking on the web and you know knowing that we're going to have the interview this morning. Um, you are a powerful woman and a very controversial figure as well, which I think is what, <laughs> you know, I, you've been described as brilliant, and you and I'll vouch for that. Uh, you are brilliant, a great writer, uh, but you also have some critics as well, and I think women in powerful positions often do. So I'd like to kind of talk about that because, you you, you know, you, you have a, you write your blog, you write these perspectives, um 
Well, I, I consider myself primarily, Catherine, when people ask me, when you get, when you get that 15 second, you know, elevator, uh, pitch, uh, I always describe myself as a writer and a commentator. That is my first, that is what I do, that is my first passion. Uh, within that two-word description, uh, I do a lot of writing about and work with women and Power of Women, the organization that you mentioned that I founded, is, is a passion. Uh, it's not a business. So I, I, I focus very much on being a writer, a storyteller, a, a journalist, and, and a commentator, uh, stirring things up, getting people to discuss things, uh, giving my opinion, my view on things. And if you, you do very, that you are, well, yeah, uh, there's really no way you don't end up with critics. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, well, that's what makes it interesting. So my question is, uh, as a powerful woman, as somebody who does do that, who, you know, in this power in the pen, obviously, which is what you do in your, in your writing, how did you get involved in this? How did, you, how did this all start? I mean, was this something that you uh, came into being uh, later in life, or were you always someone in high school, in college, who uh, was interested in in women and women's issues? Well, I've always been very interested in current events and politics. Uh, I've always been interested in that. But, um, Catherine, at at my age, I'm over 50. Um, Yes, you are, and so am I. (laughs) uh, at, At my age, we have seen a tremendous transition for women since, uh, you know, we were in high school. And so my interest in politics and, and current events and leadership um, manifested itself completely differently for the first half of my life than it has for the second half of my life. All right, so tell us how. Um, how did it do I, it? How, why, you know, the first half, because in your bio, you know, you talk about you grew up, and I did too, very similar, Leave it to Beaver, you know, the adventures of Tom Sawyer, kind of lifestyle, secure, carefree, safe. So then why did you decide to jump off the cliff and get involved in all this controversial stuff for women? Because I realized I could. <laughs> <laughs> why did the chicken cross the road? Because <laughs> he wanted to get to the other side. Uh, and I think that it's very important for that message to continue to be delivered because, Catherine, I'll tell you, one of the things that I worry about uh, is I really worry about women in their 20s and 30s uh, having absolutely no concept of what things were like when we were in our 20s and 30s. Um, and it was, it was so much different, and there has been so much struggle, and there has been so much head-banging against the glass ceiling and I don't want young women to lose that lesson, and I don't want them to ever lose the ground that has been gained. And I do think that they take, there's been huge discussions about, you know, are we, are we in an era of post-feminism? Um, are we in an era where feminism is irrelevant, um, where the, the playing field really has been leveled to the point where we don't need to worry about it anymore? And I, 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 I've, I have great concerns about that. Well, when you say post-feminism, Pamela, because that's an interesting concept, or is it is it post-feminism? Feminism is the concern is it that it's over, or that the definition of feminism has changed or evolved? Well, uh, I would like I would like to believe that the definition of feminism has changed and evolved. 
but I am really worried that there's, uh, there's a lot of young women out there that just don't think this is an issue anymore. And uh, it will continue to be an issue, first of all, in my mind, uh, as long as women are earning 70 to 76 cents, depending on which study you read to the dollar, uh, of men. So that can, that continues, uh, that continues to be an issue. And when you look at the Fortune 500 and you look at the uh, number of women that are serving, uh, on corporate boards in the Fortune 500, it is hardly proportional to our 53% of the population ratio. So what do you think has kept us in, you know, the, the feminist movement started in the 60s. We're talking 50 years. And we still, there's that glass ceiling. I had I, I, spoken to one woman who has, and I, I can't remember the title of the book, but she talks about sticky floors as well, not just glass ceilings, but there are sticky floors that keep us from getting to where we want to go, our own personal sticky floors. Which yeah, are- yeah, women have a... Um- Women have a tough time. We, we, you and I are so good at at doing stream of consciousness <laughs> conversation that we wandered away from your original question of about my critics and how I felt about having critics and and that kind of thing. All right, but, get back to that. We can do. I like to do stream of consciousness <laughs> conversation because everything we have to say is important. And but that actually, we can I, I, I can actually wrap this conversation right back into that. Um, Sometimes women get stuck on their sticky floors because um, we we want our nature is to a want to kind of get along with everybody. Um, we want we really don't like making enemies. Now, this is, these are tremendous generalizations, Catherine. But, but they ring uh, true. Just, I at, think they are generalizations. But if you take that bell-shaped curve, I think that this covers a lot of territory when it comes to the way women perceive themselves and other people. Absolutely, and it's just been proven time after time after time. Um, So uh, women tend to not be comfortable doing self-promoting. They tend to not be comfortable being uh, very assertive when necessary. Uh, They tend to want to build consensus and make sure everybody is happy and everybody's getting along. Uh, it's why they're such good team builders and why they have changed the workplace. Uh, the workplace is much less less confrontational than it used to be. It's much less top-down, command-control management style than it used to be, and that's because women have really started to influence the workplace, but not from a leadership position, just from an overwhelming numbers position. So um, when when it comes to being able, and it's one of the reasons that women are not proportionately represented in politics, because politics is a very tough, nasty game, and and you've got to be able to take criticism, and you've got to have a very thick skin. And I think also what a lot of women aren't willing to do is they are not willing to expose their families to scrutiny and and to public exposure, and. Um, Whereas men are much more willing to do that uh, for well, the sake of their own goals and their own like, careers. They've had more experience doing that. I mean, they've been doing that for generations, and we haven't. We've just gotten into the political ring, and you did too. I mean, I mentioned earlier, I think when I was doing the intro, you ran for mayor. You can talk about, talk to us. I mean, we only well, we have a couple more minutes left, but maybe when we you know, go to break and come back, you can tell us about your experiences running for mayor, because that had to be a nasty business. I mean, that's a big position that's an important position um, well yes i um i ran for mayor of uh, allentown pennsylvania which is the third largest city in pennsylvania 
and um, it was uh, it was really I I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. Well, I can't say I wouldn't change a thing. I would change something. I would have won <laughs> if I could have changed something. But uh, it was it was a fascinating experience, and uh, I loved every minute. I had served on city council, so I've actually run several campaigns. And uh, I would not change one minute of my time in politics. I really enjoyed it, and it was a tremendous learning experience. So, Pamela, will you and answer this, and then we'll go to break in a, in a few seconds. But were you the first woman to run for mayor of Allentown, Pennsylvania, or was anybody else? It was interesting because on the other ticket, uh, there was another woman running. So the two of us, um, the two of us happened to be the first women um, running for uh, mayor of Allentown it, as, as serious candidates. There had been, I think, one woman back in the 70s who ran, and, and uh, not to you know, denigrate her in any way, but she, she was not what one would consider a really serious, viable candidate. Okay, here's our music. We're going to take a break. We're talking to Pamela Barconi. Pamela and I will be back in a minute. Uh, I'm Catherine Soxer, social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Don't go away. We have lots more to talk about. News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Put the pet back in your step. Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com, and I am talking to Pamela Varconi this morning, who also has her own show on the very same channel. And uh, she is also her. She writes a column. She's a writer. And actually, before we took a break, Pamela actually described herself as a writer. That's who she is. Who she sees herself as. She writes every other Sunday on the opinion pages of the Morning Call, and she has a blog called Perspectives, which can be found at blogs.mcall.com/barconi. And Pamela, and I, besides all the other stuff Pamela does, she's run for public office. She ran for mayor of Allentown, Pennsylvania, against another woman who was uh, first time, I guess, that two serious women had uh, run for the mayor of Allentown. And so we were just talking about her experiences because then when you're in the political ring, you, I mean, that's down and dirty. And uh, women traditionally have not, uh, there, I mean, there are a few women, a few women senators, but not too many. Not too women, many women put themselves in that position. You did, Pamela, so tell us about it. Well, uh, I, I never got quite to the senatorial level. I can't imagine what that pressure is like. But I will tell you that running a campaign, uh, I started my political career as, as brief and shining a moment as it was. Uh, I started it by running for city council. And that's what most women do. They usually start running for, uh, you know, for their, their city or town council or for school board, and then they work their way up. But, Pamela, is that different than men? It is different than men, Catherine, and thank you for asking that because it's just, once again, uh, the whole modus operandi of how men see themselves and their abilities and women see themselves and their abilities. And, and, and men just absolutely think they can climb and conquer any mountain. And women tend to say, well, okay, now, do I have the right gear to climb that mountain? Have I checked the weather forecast before I climb that mountain? Uh, women are much more cautious about, am I qualified? Am I prepared? Can I do this? Where men are, are much more prone to just say, I can climb that mountain. It doesn't matter that I've never climbed a mountain before. So true. And women have this thing, and it's sort of I just want to add to that, because women kind of have this perfectionist thing. I, I really don't deserve it unless I perfect this and then I can go on to next. Men don't have that same kind of perspective. They can just, you know, they do an okay job, good enough, I can go on to next. So I, we really do come from different different places, and so I, I think that's very true. Okay, so you decided that this was you were good enough to city council. Um, well, see, I had served. That's a really perfect point, Catherine, because I had served five years on the city planning commission, and that's a that's an appointment. The 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 mayor at the time appointed me to the city planning commission. So I had served five years, and that's a long time in a, you know, volunteer unpaid position and an important position because you're helping to, you know, design the future of the city and, and, and how, what can be built in the city and what can be developed. So I had served five years on the planning commission before I felt I was qualified or ready to run for city council. 
You're a perfect example. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and in fact, I can give you another example. Uh, I've been out of politics for uh, for a decade now, almost ten years, and um, and I had served on the planning commission, served on city council, uh, run a, a mayoral campaign that I was very proud of, and then I got out of politics and focused on on my writing and, and my career and everything. So, I. This past year, I had a call from uh, from someone, from a, a leader uh, in in one of the parties, and said, uh, "You know, Pam, we're looking for a candidate to run for county executive." Now, you know, this is Lehigh County, Pennsylvania. It's a big, sophisticated county. It contains the third largest city in the in. It contains Allentown, Pennsylvania. So. He says to me, he says, and, and the committee, the selection committee of who, of a candidate that we want to support to run for, um, for county executive believes that you are by far our best candidate. And I was just speechless. And I, I, I said to him, I said, I, I'm not the least bit qualified to run for county executive. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they were looking at it from a purely political point of view, you know, name recognition and reputation and, you know, previous political experience and, so and yada, yada, yada. And I was looking at it from I would actually have to do the job for four years. And that is a, that is the difference. And I can guarantee you, in fact, that's what happened, that they went and offered the job to a man who has never, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, very nice guy, very smart guy, but has never served in political office before, and he is the candidate for county executive this year. But Pamela, did you really feel, did you really think you weren't qualified? Yes, yes, I did. Because running the county is very, is, 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 is not only complicated, but running the county contains departments that I don't have any expertise or knowledge in. And it's not that I couldn't come up to speed or, or it's not that I can't surround myself with the right people, which has always been one of the things that when I teach leadership to other women, I always talk about the importance of that, especially the way women think. We need to be willing to surround ourselves with people that, that fill in the gaps that we have. Um, but yes, I did because I did not have any experience in running a countywide health department. I had no experience in running a countywide prison system. Uh, I mean, these are countywide sheriff's department. These are very important aspects of being county executive, and I did not have that administrative and leadership experience. But did you feel, because knowing you and you've been describing all of the things that you've done, and I have utmost confidence that you would have surrounded yourself with the right people. Was there something like really gutsy emotional you were afraid you were going to screw up and you just didn't want to put yourself in that position? No, no. I, I it, No, I was not afraid. I, I didn't feel it was fair to the voters to put myself out there and, and have them vote for me when they could have probably had someone who could do the job better, who could hit the ground running. But it would have taken got. me. Look who they got. You're saying this person now they got a guy. A well, that, they've got a candidate. We'll see if they vote for him or not. <laughs> uh, I mean, quite frankly, the uh, the person who's running for the other party uh, is 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 probably better qualified. Right. So I, I that that's you know that I I don't think that you should take on a job. What to me, I take public service very very seriously. And I know I'm very old-fashioned this way, but I believe that if you truly step forward and offer yourself for election and you ask people to cast your 
their vote for you, which is the most sacred thing that we do in America is is to cast our ballot as free people. If you ask people to do that, you need to be able to return that trust and that confidence to them a hundredfold in the job that you can do for them. I don't disagree with you, but I still have to get back to it. And I'm, I'm thinking about and, and I've read about all of what you've done, and maybe specifically you didn't have the experience Experience in this particular venue, but all the other stuff seems to come into place. I mean, I would have been out there campaigning for you or working <laughs> for you. Seriously, and I'm on the other side. I think you're a. Rep- I can say this: you're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Right. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's really important to. Um, to, to not step into the public service arena unless uh, unless you really feel that uh, that you can deliver for uh, for the voters and for your constituents and and I just didn't think it was a, it was a, a a practical or realistic thing to do if I had served on county commission as I served on city council I felt I was qualified to run for mayor because of my experience on the planning commission and the uh, city council but it was I did not feel that way about county executive because I had never served on county commission. Would you ever run for mayor again? I don't think so. You know, I'm old enough and wise enough to know you never say never, but uh, I'm as close to never as you can get. Uh, I I just can't imagine stepping back in the political arena. Uh, I'm I am so happy and content. Uh, with my writing and my speaking and helping other women, and I, I, I can't imagine putting myself back into that cement mixer again, and that's what it is. It is very difficult. All right, so talking about what you are doing and what you do believe in, and I think this is amazing because you're talking about the power of women, not just here in the United States, but let's talk about some of the work that you've done in Afghanistan. Well, I mean, you haven't... From Allentown to Afghanistan, as you describe <laughs> it. I love it. Uh, you know, the power of women extends all the way to Afghanistan, and you've been there on two trips, as I talked about in the beginning, 2006, 2007. So what have you done for women in Afghanistan? Well, uh, it is what a great deal uh, of Americans uh, and American women have done for the women in Afghanistan. Um, I am a uh, I am a member of an organization called Be Peace, the Business Council for Peace, which, by the way, is headquartered in New York, and uh, it is a wonderful organization that helps women in post-conflict countries. Uh, and right now, we're currently active in Afghanistan and Rwanda, and we help women to become entrepreneurs and start their own businesses. And the um, the, the the slogan of BPs is more jobs means less violence. People tend to want to keep their country stable uh, if they have a job and they have a paycheck and they have a future and their family is doing well. Uh, people tend to get frustrated and want to go around and fly planes into buildings um, when they feel that, that they have no hope and they're being left behind. Yeah, when they feel they have nothing left to lose. So that's, you're helping that's, that's exactly right. And in turn, by helping the women, obviously you're helping the men and families uh, to have a stake in, in their countries and their families and in their work and what they're doing. So specifically, what do you do? How do you do this? I mean, what's the process? Well, um, there's a there's a B-piece process and there's a Pam Barconi process. Um, the B-piece process is that um, every two or three years uh, they choose a group of women that they call fast runners. And these are not women who have no 
concept of business at all. These these are women that have been doing a little something. They've they've got their own little business started already. You know, in they're the working country, in, in the country in Afghanistan or Rwanda. Yes, exactly. Okay, we're going to take a break some... right now. This went by very fast, but Pamela Varconi. Uh, and she and I will be back in a minute. Don't go away. The Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone. And we're on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. Welcome back. You're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on Voice America, voiceamericavariety.com. And this morning I'm talking to Pamela Varconi, who has her own show also on Voice America, voiceamerica.com. She's the founder of Power of Women, a networking and mentoring organization. She's a writer. She has a blog called Perspectives. Uh, she writes her uh, column appears every other Sunday on the opinion pages of the Morning Call. She's from Pennsylvania. And Pamela, specifically in terms of women's empowerment, uh, works with women uh, in Afghanistan and now Rwanda to empower them. That's what we've been talking about, helping them to get 
uh, well, to become entrepreneurs uh, in the context of their own country. So, Pamela, before we took the break, you were telling us exactly how that works. You go to Afghanistan, you go to Rwanda. Well, this is the Business Council for Peace uh, that does this, and they are an absolutely wonderful organization. In fact, they are a uh, UN, UNIFEM, uh, affiliated organization and have now also uh, received the stamp of approval and support from the U.S. State Department. So uh, they really are an, an organization worthy of support. And the Business Council for Peace uh, chooses uh, every two to three years a group of women who have some knowledge of, of business, who have shown some entrepreneurial instinct or success, and they take them and they turn them into a team and they focus on helping these women develop and grow their businesses. And they, you know, they work through business plans and they, they, they bring them to the United States. Uh, in fact, we just had uh, a group here about uh, eight, nine months ago from Afghanistan that was just a fabulous experience. Uh, many times it's the first time these women have been out of Afghanistan, been out of their own country, certainly the first time they've been to America. Um, and we stay with them through the entire two years following them, mentoring, helping them uh, to build their business. And they have goals they have to meet. I mean, it's a very a very well-put-together program, and they need to hit certain markers. And they need to, you know, have hired so many employees by the end of the program, and they need to have, you know, generated so much in revenue. Um, and it, it, it really, it's just worked beautifully. We've got some fabulous success stories. So, Pamela, well, I'd like to hear about one of the success stories because when they go back into the country, then how do you monitor how successful they've been? Or well, actually, uh, Business Council for Peace has a paid coordinator in uh, Afghanistan and Rwanda. So they have, we have a native on, on the ground. Right. Tell us one of the success, success stories. I'd oh, love dear. Let's see. It's almost hard to know where to start. Um, there were... Um, there were several women who, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Afghanistan because I actually don't work in, in or with Rwanda. The uh, Business Council for Peace does, but I, I don't personally. So I'll, I'll talk about Afghanistan. Uh, there were, first of all, Afghanistan, you have to understand, it's a very ancient culture. It's very tribal, and it's very family-based. So uh, it, it, your opportunities to, like, network and expand are very limited because, A, it first has to be kind of within a family structure and approved by the family, and then it has to be within kind of a tribal village structure and kind of approved by that group. So um, the bottom line is the Business Council for Peace in, in the one class, not the class we're working with now, but the class that graduated last year, they put together this group of women who were all doing um, – Designing and, and, and trades, textiles and, and, uh, you know, sewing trades and that sort of thing. And they ended up putting those women together in their own boutique store. And those three women brought all of their, their goods and their expertise. You know, like I said, one was a designer of clothing. Uh, one was a weaver of silk. Uh, one, Afghanistan is famous for its silk, and thank heavens its silk industry is coming back because in the days of Marco Polo, Afghan silk was the finest in the world. Um, and they put them together, and they have their own boutique store now in Kabul. 
And that is something that would have absolutely never happened. And these women are not related by family. They're not related by, by tribe or village from where they And they are now in business together in this beautiful little boutique store. Well, that's an amazing story. That it is an amazing uh, story. Those are amazing stories. Uh, our next guest is ready to go. We're going to say goodbye to Pamela, but I want listeners to know, because, I mean, I know you have a lot more to talk about, especially with the Afghanistan power of women, et cetera. If listeners want to get in touch with you, listen to your show, let's give a plug for your show, because that's on once a week as well on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, as well as reading your blog and your Sunday uh, opinion pages on the morning call. So give us some info. Well, uh, we are just about, Power of Women is just about to launch its brand-new website, so I'm going to give you the website address, and if you go there now, you will find the old site, but the very beautiful new site will be up in about two weeks. It's www.powerofwomen.net, and Catherine, it has been a pleasure being with you. Well, it's been a pleasure. My friend and my colleague, Pamela Varconi, she'll be on the show again. Uh, you and I have lots more to talk about, both on and off the air. Anyway, have a great summer, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks, Pamela. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My next guest is Rachel Lehman Haupt. She's executive editor of Plum Magazine. Her writing appears regularly in the New York Times Magazine, New York Vogue, O, o Magazine, Self Glamour. She lives in Manhattan. And uh, she's written a new book called uh, In Her Own Sweet Time, Unexpected Adventures in Finding Love, Commitment, and Motherhood. Um, and I'm just going to read the intro to this. It's a playful childhood rhyme, but for many women it reflects the reality that from an early age we are handed a specific timeline for how our adult lives should unfold. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. You meet, fall in love, marry, have children, live happily ever after. But... What if love comes later in life or marriage just isn't in the cards? Should women in their 30s and 40s delay or even give up on having children, waiting for the so-called fairy tale ending? Well, we'll find out right now from Rachel Lehman Haupt. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. Nice to be here. Okay, so this is, yeah, well, you are the other generation that my first guest and I were talking about. So you reached your 30s, not yes, married. Uh, yep. Yeah, but concerned about whether or not, if, when, or whether or not you're going to have children and that biological clock running out. So, um, but in your own sweet time, you uh, have uh, approached things very differently. Talk to us about well, it. Well, you know, I think that women now in their 20s don't, a lot of women um, don't really think about settling down. You think about kind of finding yourself, establishing your career, putting economic power ahead of procreative power. Um, so, you know, many educated women spend their 20s getting their master's degrees or, you know, surfing different relationships to find the one, and the one sometimes pops up in your 30s. And and that means um, sometimes facing your ticking biological clock. Now, I mean, there's also the thing that sometimes your marriage in, in your 20s is a starter marriage and it breaks up so you don't have kids and you face your 30s single or, you know, basically... The story, the fairy tale doesn't always happen as planned, and increasingly it doesn't happen as planned in our generation as women are facing a lot of different choices in their lives. So, Rachel, so, it didn't happen as planned for you. As I understand, this book is about, it's personal, it's your story, because you had a boyfriend and you had financial independence and a career and a writer and all of those things, but then 
the boyfriend left or you broke up with him and yeah you know i wasn't in love with this man and you know and it was around a time that a lot of my friends were getting married and started to settle down and i i felt an incredible amount of peer pressure and i knew that if i had married this guy it probably wouldn't have worked out because you know, we weren't really in love, so it was about weighing, you know, the peer pressure to kind of follow the social flow, and instead, I found myself single, and I sort of found myself in this, you know, whirlpool at the edge of the social pl- flow, spinning in circles with all these new questions. If I'm single, how, you know, how, how am I going to date with the intent of wanting to have a child? What am I going to do about my biological clock? What are the new choices? So I started looking at the new choices that women are making when they are in this, you know, predicament. So what are some of the new choices? What are the new choices? What- well, well, there are many. Um, many women are choosing to put the cart before the horse um, and become single mothers by choice through sperm donors. Um, they feel the pull of their biological clock, and they decide that rather than waiting for Mr. Wright, they're just going to go ahead and have a child and assume that Mr. Wright will come along later. I mean, you have all your life to fall in love. You don't have all your life to have a biological child. Um you know, so it's really about expanding your concept of choice. Many couples that are in their mid to late 30s, you know, that are sort of facing biological pressure, um, there's a chapter in the book called The Instant Family, which is that, you know, many couples are meeting when they're older, they're having faster courtships, they're getting married and having children right away, sometimes within two years. And, you know, many brides are walking down the aisle pregnant now. It's not sort of a social stigma like a shotgun wedding, but actually, you know, sort of a source of mature and pride. And there are these um, wonderful wedding dresses. Uh, wonderful are, wedding dresses. Yes. There's a store in New York called Mom's Night Out. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those, and they're great. So you have this beautiful dress for someone who's pregnant. Okay, so there are lots of choices, and they can make those individual choices because now... The because there's are, less social stigma yeah, now, and there are yeah. new role models. And I mean, is there any social stigma? I mean, you can be married when you... Well, you can get married when you're pregnant. You can be a single mom. SMCs, is that the, what they're called? Yeah, SMCs. by choice? Yeah. Um, okay, go on because you, you know. And, and then the other thing that 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 has really changed this, the landscape is that is reproductive technology. Um, you know, many women are older and they can't get pregnant with their own eggs, so they're turning to younger women's eggs. There's a kind of an econ- you know, there's an economy where younger women are donating their eggs. Um, in order to sort of pay for college or, you know, put a down payment on a house to older women who have the money to buy eggs but just don't have the procreative power of their own eggs anymore. So, so And this that's... is one area where eggs cost more than sperm, which is a good... Yeah, eggs are much more expensive than <laughs> yes. sperm. It's, you know, it's a, lot, it's a lot more complicated a process to extract and freeze an egg than it is to, um, you know, extract and sperm. I mean, the other thing that that women are doing, it's still an experimental technology, but this is what I did, was I got my eggs frozen um, when I was 37 because, you know, rather than actually buying the eggs from another woman, it is possible to extract, freeze your own eggs in order to donate them to yourself further down the road when your fertility might be a little bit more compromised. All right, we're going to talk more about freezing your eggs because that, you did go through that process when we come back because we have to take a short break. I'm Catherine Buck, your social worker with the microphone. here on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, and I'm talking to Rachel Lincoln-Haup, who is author of In Her Own Sweet Time. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action, broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. With a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. I'm talking to Rachel Lehman Haupt, executive editor of Plum Magazine. She uh, has written her first book in her own sweet time, Unexpected Adventures in Finding Love, Commitment, and Motherhood, if you're just joining us. And Rachel, well, she's been talking about some of the options for young women today, women in their 30s and 40s, different options that we had, let's say, in the in uh, my generation, the baby boomer generation for remaining single but still having the opportunity to have babies. Uh, uh, and one of the things that we started to talk about before the break, is with, and this is something that Rachel herself has done, she decided to freeze her own eggs so that she, you know, she's not in a committed relationship right now or doesn't necessarily have to be even when she decides to have a child, but it, it will be in her own sweet time when she decides to have her, her baby, if she decides to have one at all. Okay, Rachel, so freezing your own eggs. So what happened? So the story is, is that I actually was in a committed relationship. I was very, you know, when I was 36, I met a man finally who I really fell very madly in love with and really thought was the one. And we dated for a year, and unfortunately, what happened was he was unable to commit to me at the end of that year. And I sort of said to him, "Look, you know, I'm not getting any younger. If if you can't commit, I'm not sure I can really stick around in this relationship. Just you know, to bide my time." 
And he, you know, he basically said, well, I don't know, and I kind of cut him loose. And, and, and it was really, really heartbreaking and really, really sad. And on the other side of this breakup, I, you know, was not only heartbroken, but, you know, really scared about my losing my chance to have a biological child. And so I felt Stuck, and that's where you know I had I had researched egg freezing for many many years, and at that point I you know I, I you know I was I planned very much planned on started dating again, but I also flew to Italy to meet with the inventors of the of oocyte cryopreservation, which is the scientific name for egg freezing, and um, and learned that I was biologically young and that um, therefore would would probably be a good candidate for freezing my eggs. Although, you know, it's still very much an experimental technology. Um, um, The American Society for Reproductive Medicine, you know, lists it as an experimental technology in the U.S. So it's not like everybody can go out and freeze their eggs and it's the solution. It's also, you know, quite expensive. Does insurance Uh, cover the cost of it or not? I mean, Well, the insurance... In very, very good insurance plans, occasionally cover the cost of it um, if you have cancer and you have a medical reason for freezing your eggs to preserve your fertility. If if you're freezing your eggs for what my situation, which is essentially a social reason, I was not in a committed relationship and therefore didn't feel ready to have a child, even though I was not there was nothing stopping me from having a child biologically insurance unfortunately does not cover it um my grandmother had died a year earlier and i had inherited some money from her so i used my inheritance to pay for it carry on but that's appropriate sort of yeah, carrying exactly. on the generation I sort of like the idea of preserving her genes yeah exactly okay two questions rachel um what is the i guess how many eggs um do you need to freeze, or what's the optimal My doctor offer? at NYU, Dr. Nicole Noyes, who is a brilliant and wonderful doctor who really supports women in this in this quest, um, said that you need eight eggs, really, in order to make a baby, eight mature eggs. And I was really lucky that I actually produced eight eggs during the process. So lucky I now have eight eggs. because of your age, or lucky because of, of why, or that would be sort of abnormal? How old were you when you actually did this? When you I was 37 when I did this, which is definitely the higher end of the spectrum. I mean, they say that the optimal age to freeze your eggs is in your late 20s to early 30s. I mean, the question is, is how many women really have $15,000 to spend at that age to get their eggs frozen? Yeah, well, that's a good point. And the next question is, what about... Uh, do they know how long the eggs are viable? I know they freeze them. What is in liquid nitrogen? Is that what they? Well, freeze? they don't. Yeah, they freeze. They freeze them. And they, they, the process basically is: is you do. It's like it's like in vitro fertilization. You do a week of shots in order to stimulate egg production. Um, once your you know follicles have grown and you have a certain number of eggs, they you go under a light anesthesia and you do about a twenty minute surgery to extract the eggs, and then they are they are frozen in liquid nitrogen. Now. There is the, the latest study that came, came out um, by NYU and the University of Bologna where the, in, uh, the technology was invented, so, you know, it's a good study, has shown that there are now 900 babies that have been born worldwide to frozen eggs. And the really good news is, is that none of those babies have, have had genetic anomalies any different than, you know, the, the normal population. So that's a sign that it doesn't look like there's any damage to the eggs from the freezing process. Now, do they know how long? They're, 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 that's unsure. Um, the, the, the most promising news that I've heard is that there, a woman in Australia 
who froze her eggs at 37, just had twins. I think she was 41 or 42 from her frozen eggs. So it's beginning to work. You know, I think the more the information gets out about this technology and the more it's being done, you know, it's, 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 it's promising. You know. Now, for you personally, Rachel, was there any downside to it? I'm thinking about you going through the process because it is a surgical procedure, and it is a process. I mean, I mean, was, it, was, it, was, it, was it the choice that I wanted to make? No, the choice that I wanted to make was, you know, to fall in love and have a baby the normal way with the love of my life, but unfortunately that didn't work out. I'm really happy that I had this other, you know, option. Was it, was it, it, was, it was surgically challenging. I mean, it was, you know, I got a little hormonal. Um, the surgery, you know, was like getting put to sleep for like a colonoscopy. It wasn't a really big deal, you know. And, and you know, many people go through plastic surgery in this country. And I would say, I mean, I've never actually had plastic surgery, but, you know, based on watching like, you know, extreme Walk makeover. Walk Avenue and Madison Avenue in New York City and you will. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it. It, it, or from stories that I've heard from, you know, people who have gone through it, it is like, you know, maybe a third of the physical price that you pay. Now, did you get emotional support from family, from friends, from girlfriends? I, I mean, I, you know, I'm incredibly lucky in that I have an amazingly supportive family, and they have, you know, been behind me and been rooting for me every step of the way in this process, um, you know, including the, 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 the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm at 39 now and single and now really actually very much considering single motherhood by choice and I really even have the backing of my family for that. Yeah, I think now when in, you know being able to do this and as you say I think this process of freezing one, one's eggs will become more popular. Perhaps a lot of people who won't get married or because they really don't want to get married and the, and the motivation for that was to have babies but if you don't have to do that then it's a really interesting question, you know. It really is. I mean, you know, the, the birth control pill revolutionized sex. It made people be able to have casual sex for better or for worse. It made people be able to, you know, plan parenthood. For, and, and, you know, well, and it leveled the playing although, field between men and women. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It really changed the relationship between men and women. And I, I sort of believe that egg freezing could be as revolutionary. I mean, it's obviously not as easy as popping a pill, but, you know, it could be as revolutionary in that way because it really changes the way women, you know, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of women end up with the wrong guy because they're afraid of losing the chance of having a child. And, Rachel, I think it may change the what our concept of family is. I mean, that is changing now. But you may have two women together or you incorporate different kinds of families. You don't necessarily need a, a, a man and a woman. I mean, there are just all different kinds of configurations. Exactly. I mean, many, many women, you know, a woman technically could freeze her eggs, have a baby at 40 with donor sperm with her lesbian lover, um, you know, uh, or her wife. Um, which, you know, I support gay marriage. Um, you know, or, you know, what I'm hoping is going to happen for me is that, you know, if I, I, I'm hoping that I'm going to meet Mr. Wright, um, soon, and, you know, and now I have my eggs frozen at four, from, from when I was 37, and say I want to have a kid when I'm 42 or 43. You're all, yeah, exactly. We have to say goodbye. This has been fascinating. I yeah. want to make sure, in her own sweet time, Unexpected Adventures in Finding Love, Commitment, and Motherhood, Rachel Lee help. Thanks so much for being on thanks the show for today. Me. Yeah, great. thanks for having me. Yeah, take well, care. Her book, fascinating. Much more to talk about. I'm Catherine Doctor, social worker with a microphone. 
Hope you've had a good morning and have a great day, and we'll see you next week. hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.